Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connections, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? And here we are, a new week, a new episode of Back to Basics. I'm looking forward to my conversation with Randy Wall, president of the Engineering Leadership Institute and a nationally recognized professional development instructor. His focus is in teaching soft skills to the engineering industry. He has many, many engineering-related accolades, but as you probably already know, I don't bring people on the show for their specific industry knowledge. I bring them because I believe they have the power to inspire and motivate you and me. So what prompted me to invite Randy as a guest today was a comment he made to one of our social media posts where he smartly pinpointed when one stays in the basic, you don't have to go back to them. I was blown away by that comment, as it is so true. It really resonated with me, so I reached out, and here you are, Randy. Welcome to Back to Basics. Good morning, Leticia. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I am very, very happy because you are really a part of how the magic has been happening with this podcast. You know, someone makes a comment in, in one of the posts or, or, you know, mentions something and we connected and now, you know, another amazing and inspirational person. So I'm very excited about it. Thank you. So, Randy, um, one of the, the ways I used to, well, probably the only way I used to start the show, it's, you know, to get into know uh, you and what you like as a child. And, and what I like about you and your background is as an engineer, you know, you come from the, let's say, the more formal way of, of uh, trades, as so to speak. You know, you, you uh, represent those of us that went to university and went into, you know, like uh, one of the most um, acclaimed professions because I have other people on the show, you know, that were rebellious and say, I didn't want to study. I found my happiness going, you know, through the very unconventional path. It sounds to me you went through a conventional path and you're finding joy and happiness in what you're doing. So tell us a little bit about, you know, how that journey journey started? Who were you as a child? What did you like to do? Well, let me just say that um, my path wasn't totally conventional. When I was born and raised in the Bay Area in California, and very normal family, my mom and dad were together and stayed together. I have two brothers. Well, I, I have one brother who's still surviving right now, and we can get to that. But uh, Halfway through high school, my parents moved me from very liberal, democratic Bay Area, California, to very conservative, small-town Grass Valley, California. And um, my life as I knew it ended. And, <laughs> you know, because high school is so important, right? Yes, which, of course. Which, look, looking back, we know it just really, really doesn't mean anything. But um, so uh, when my parents said, go right. I went left. One of my big things about my parents wanted me to do was go to college. I said, nope, I'm never going back to college. And my mom cried. <laughs> and uh, so my junior and senior year in high school was about uh, 
cutting school and either going skiing or going to the river. And it really, looking back on that time, the it was really a time where I was discovering my physicality and really developing a love for nature. The, the rivers that, um, Grass Valley, California sits in the foothills elevation about, uh, 2,200 feet. And, uh, there are river canyons there that are just spectacular and beautiful swimming holes. And I was spending a lot of my time there. The other fascination I had at that time was at 12 years old, um, that was the first time I went skiing. And when I, when I experienced snow and I've, I was completely and absolutely captivated, fascinated by snow, fascinated by skiing. Um, that was another part of my physicality. So at that point I decided that my biggest goal was to go become a professional ski instructor. Oh, wow. That's and, uh, for a 12 year old. That's a big goal to, to set it up. Well, it wasn't at that. It wasn't at that time, really. Okay. It, it, it that developed earlier in my life. My big goal. Well, when I was ten years old, Neil Armstrong landed on the moon, mm-hmm. and and um, so my my goal, what I wanted to be when I grew up, was an astronaut and drive a Corvette. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, then, at you know, at age nineteen, I I got a a job as a ski instructor and. Um, Basically, was living the dream, which was which meant I was totally broke. And, Were you uh, living at home by now, or you had left, or I was I was living at Lake Tahoe, California. Okay, great, great. And uh, if you don't mind to go back, when you say that everything changes, like with school, like were you, it sounds to me like you were more like you wanted to be out there and you really didn't enjoy studying, or is it something else that just you didn't enjoy from that high school time? Well, here's kind of a dirty little secret, and that is is that the the first time I, I took geometry, I failed it. <laughs> well, I love the little dirty little secrets. That's the whole purpose of the podcast. Okay, that's interesting. But you see, that's going to inspire someone that doesn't know what to study, and then you became, you know, top shot engineer. Amazing. Well, I don't know about that, but, you know, yeah. I, I, did be, <laughs> I did become a, an engineer. But so what happened was is that uh, I, uh, I spent – two years up at Lake Tahoe, freezing and being broke and eating a lot of beans and potatoes. And my parents were still there, you know, they're still loving me and supporting me and saying, you know, if you, we really want you to go back to school. So, um, after a couple of years of that, I figured, well, I'm kind of tired of this. And, um, and I went back to my parents and I said, well, I've decided to go back to school. And my mom cried again. (laughs) And, when I went back to school, what I did was is at that time, I went back to school um, and I went to junior college and because I literally – and I had to do three years in junior college because I literally had to do my senior year in high school at junior college because I didn't do it. Okay. I mean, so I you basically my, dropped out in a way, yeah, right? Okay. I, I dropped out, but yeah. I graduated and I and, – um, I think this was an indication of just, you know, that I'm fairly intelligent because I, I didn't go to class or anything and I passed all my classes. Yeah. No, um, no, no. It's, uh, and I think the intelligence is not a stake. It's like, it's that you build your own path in a way. So I guess I get you now that we say it wasn't that conventional. So I love it. So you yeah, went but, back. Um, one thing you said that kind of was that it was a path of discovery for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. It was like discovering um, who I was and, um, what I could do. And 
as I was growing up, right? So I went back to junior college and lo and behold, I found out that I had a real affinity for math. And I was fortunate at the time because um, I had one of the things that in the engineering leadership that we really are proponent of is mentoring within in industries. And in my life, I was fortunate at the time to have my best friend. He was actually the best man at my wedding. Um, I've known him for, oh my gosh, I've known Gary for 47 years. Wow. So. Yeah, he bought beer for me when I was underage. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, <laughs> that's why you'd stuck together. That sounds like a good friend. <laughs> But what he did was he guided me to go back to school. And, to, um, and when I got back into school, then I had counselors there. And I remember it was 50 bucks a semester for a junior college. So, so if anybody's listening out there is thinking about school and going to university – I am a huge proponent of junior college. It's a smaller classes, much more attention. Um, and I got back in there and the counselor said, hey, you really ought to think about going into engineering with your affinity for math. And I did. I went back to en I went into engineering. I did all my lower division. Um, I got accepted at University of California, Davis. And, that's, and I did two, two years and a quarter there. And, uh, and graduated with my Bachelor of Science in Civil Engineering and went to work for um, a huge utility on the West Coast called Pacific Gas and Electric Company. So that was my journey uh, through engineering. And at the time, I was also um, teaching skiing part-time on the weekends. Mm -hmm. And um, so everything was building at that point. Like, and and and. I think we'll we'll get into this, but I think after we speak and, and, and kind of sitting here and just stopping and going through the questions you gave me, what emerged, right, because everything's emergent if you're aware and you're open to seeing things emerge like common threads emerge, right? So what emerged for me was this quest, this um, hunger for – Constant improvement. There's a lot of words out there for it. I don't know if you've ever word, heard the term Kaizen. No, I haven't. K-A-I-Z-E-N. That's a Japanese term for business of constant improvement. Okay. Incremental constant improvement. All right. So. I love it. And if you don't hear me speaking, I'm taking notes. I take notes on my own podcast when I learn something. So there you go. You just threw something I'm going to look into. Thank you. Definitely what you said about, uh, you know, everything emerges if you're aware. That's very powerful right there. And it sounds to me that from a young age, you were aware uh, first of what you enjoy doing, what your body enjoyed doing, that I think it's something we forget. We forget our body and what it makes the body feel good. And uh, yeah. So I think I know that, the, that the, and I want to hear about you. I know you scuba dive also, which is also something that, that I love to do. But it sounds to me that then you, you always made skiing part of your life. Um, yes. And then found a career that you found that fulfills you. And that's yes. where I want to get. So by now you found the career through engineering, you liked it, and then you find a way through your jobs to kind of keep progressing in a way. And, uh, and so do you feel that, because 
one of the, being in telecom, right? I'm surrounded by engineers, surrounded. And, you know, I love engineering, uh, engineering itself, and I love engineers, but it's, it takes a special person to be sensitive and to be aware also. It's one of those careers, I don't know if it's because it's so matter of fact, you know, it's, it is what it is, math and, and, you know, the calculations, that sometimes I find that they feel stuck in their own skin. In telecom, for example, when we talk about career changes, people tell me, what, where am I going to go? I've been in telecom all my life. And they feel kind of they have no options. And I know that you teach soft skills, which I also uh, love the term. And, and I'm sure you see it all. So what, what, tell me more about that, about the, your educational purpose, how you found that calling to, to kind of mentor uh, younger engineers in, in, in your own environment. Okay, I want to tell you about a, well, there's a, um, and, I, and I certainly don't want to get political here, but there's a political guy, a political pundit out there, his name is James Carvel. And James Carvel was the head of the Clinton campaign, uh, Bill Clinton's campaigns. And, but one thing he said on a show, he, he's still on shows periodically, but he talked about uh, when Mitt Romney lost the election to Barack Obama, and he said, "Well, you know, you know what Mitt Romney heard the night of the election? He heard pine on skull, and because he thought he was going to win that thing, and and what he meant by that was pine on skulls like an aha aha moment, an epiphany. There's lots of different terms on it, a breakthrough, where somebody is like somebody your friend takes a two by four and whacks you on the head with it, like ding, like, you know, pine on skull. Right. And so when I was younger, I was an engineer. I was working for Pacific gas and electric company. I was actually working on the Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant, um, which is a whole nother rabbit hole that I won't go down, but I bought a book in a used bookstore, um, for a dollar 50 and it's called the centered skier. Okay. And it was written by a woman by the name of Denise McLuggage. It actually, Denise McLuggage was a race car driver and in, her, in her younger years and uh, was a writer for car magazines. That's what she did. But she wrote this book. And basically she used this, the platform of skiing to, to introduce, introduce the concepts of, of Zen Buddhism. Okay. And that completely changed my, my life because it, it, all of a sudden my, um, physical ability in skiing was at a very high level and, but it allowed me to tie my spirituality into my pursuit, which at that point, what I call is the brink of transcendence, mm-hmm. which means that because if you take any, any, occupation, anything you're pursuing, there's, I would assert there's four levels. There's beginner, intermediate, advanced, and then there's the leap from advanced to expert or mastery or virtuosity or, you know, however, true quality, however you want to describe it, right? So, but the thing is about making the the leap, like in engineering, from an advanced practitioner to a, a master, or virtue or virtuoso, um, it's it's all up here. In any physical pursuit, 
um, like Olympic skiers and, and all that. And I've worked with coaches who, who that from high performance to ultra high performance is all up here in the mind. And, right in the mind. And so the reason why I wanted to tell you that story is, is because what happened for me was, was, um, the great recession. So we were living in California. We had, um, my wife's sister has a national, her sister is a nationally recognized biochemist, internationally recognized actually. Montana State University in Bozeman recruited her. We had been looking at opening up a second engineering office because we we owned a civil engineering firm at the time. My wife is also a, um, a civil engineer. And we do actually have a very fruitful and satisfying life, two mm-hmm. engineers together, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's good to know for anybody out there that is afraid of marrying and working together, right? Right. And so basically we moved out here. Um, we saw the recession coming. We sold all our properties in California at the top of the market. We moved out here. I didn't. I made a vow to myself that I would never do to my kids what my parents did to me, which was move me halfway through high school. Mm-hmm. So they were still in middle school. So we got out here. We moved out here. I went to work for an engineering firm out here. Um, they really wanted me to come to work for them. And then when the Great Recession hit, I got laid off. And that was really weird for me. Because here I was, I was like 51 years old, and I get laid off. And make a long story short, I just, I'd always wanted to get an, uh, an advanced degree. So at age 51, I went back to school here at Montana State University, and I got my master's in public administration which is basically a master's in social science. Not the hard sciences like engineering, like my first degree, but a master's in social science. And that was a mind blower. Going back to school at age 51, I did figure out one thing, and this is part of me being good at math, and that is, is that if you get an A- minus in one class, you can never get a 4.0. Oh, well, <laughs> that's what you got, A-. minus one, in one <laughs> class. Oh, my one God. <laughs> Wow. So, anyway, so to square the circle on this whole thing, so everything had been building up to that point, you know, and at age 51, I go back to school and it put me on this trajectory of this realization of the power in um, the balancing, the building and the balancing of soft skills and technical skills. I mean, that's true quality in a practitioner, in my opinion. And that's why, that's why I teach, I teach engineers how to be better engineers, but I don't teach any of the technical stuff. I teach all the soft skill stuff because right now in our, in our society with communications, traveling at hyperspeed, you're in telecommunications, you know that. And also uh, like stuff like automa- automation and everything, technical soft skills now are becoming way more valuable than technical skills alone. I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I think that the part of the, our education crisis is because we are trying to, well, to, to begin with, and I, I, and I love the U.S. that I've been here 23 years, but I find this is an extremely competitive environment from, from some, anybody that is not from the U.S. and we have come to study here is the first shocking moment I had was to understand how competitive it was. And your friends might love you, but, you know, they're going to compete with you and you're going to be the enemy, you know, if they can. That was the experience I got. And and, and I 
I have many friends that felt that way. Where in other countries, it's like you're in it together and everybody tries to help each other as much as they can. So in this competitive environment, those soft skills are really what can make the difference because you, some people, you know, go through their jobs and they just try to be the best, but then they're missing, you know, that, that, that fuzzy quality in the job. Maybe, you know, common sense, for example, you know, the numbers are there, but it mm. doesn't make sense. I, this is mm. a, an mm. issue I have in my own job. Like, okay, the customer is saying this. Well, but it, it's impossible. The calculation is this. It's like, yeah, but put yourself in the customer's shoes for a second. And, uh, and so that I always find that we are lacking more and more as uh, the younger generations graduate. I don't know what you can share if that's the same appreciation you have or experience. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> um, there's, there's one thing that if you go to my YouTube, YouTube channel, okay. there's, there's a 13-minute video there that explains the foundations of the Engineering Leadership Institute. And it's, it's, it's kind of dry, but it, you should watch it. I'll just leave it at that, okay? I will, and I, it will be on the show notes. So if anybody yeah. else is interested. And um, so one thing that you just said to me, which just I just I just had a pine on skull moment, Leticia, and that is is that common sense is a soft skill. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, no, I'm no. In fact, you just gave me the title for my next training that I'm going to build. Oh, great! That's awesome. Common sense is a soft skill. Awesome. Yeah. And why do they call it common if it's uncommon, right? Isn't that the saying? That's how the saying goes? Well, what you just said to me was really robust. It was, there was a lot to it. So let me, let me kind of, let me, let me take on the competitive thing first. Okay. In my entire career and everything I've do, I've never competed with anybody. People have competed with me a bunch. Uh huh. But to me, it's always been about, hey, we're all in this together. Let's let's work together to benefit each other. Let's be colleagues here. Mm-hmm. Let's ad- let's advance the industry. Let's advance our profession. Let's advance our market. And so so um by the way, where are you from? I'm from Venezuela, but my parents are Italian. So I'm a little bit of a mix. B- Italian by blood, Venezuelan by birth. Are you a hothead? Uh yeah. For the most part, I think people could say that. I'm not going to say no, <laughs> because then they're going to hear it and say, yeah, she is. <laughs> I, I committed to staying true on my podcast. <laughs> right. So, I mean, yeah, right. So we all have our challenges, right? But um, this whole concept, and I work with I work with my engineers on my team. Um, engineers are terrible writers. They're terrible communicators. There, um, I think what you're talking about is like being locked in, like there's only one answer and I've come up with it. And so it's right. And it's correct. And it's like, uh, yeah, but the bigger thing that's going on here is that we have a group, we have a room full of people that we all have to interface with correctly that all are very intelligent and have their own ideas and we need to collaborate together to have um, an emergent solution that's better than than your solution alone. Absolutely, absolutely. Right. So the truth of it is, and you'll see this in 
that video that I just told you is that I went back and I studied when I was putting together the Engineering Leadership Institute, I went back and I studied the history of engineering. And in the 50s, there was this report. It's called the Grintner Report. It's really famous. And this Committee on Engineering Education or whatever, they put together this report and they said, okay, there should be at least one class of social science every semester for an eight-semester engineering degree. Okay? All right? That was their recommendation, basically. And so what they did was, is when they were issuing the report, they were working with industry, which was correct. They gave it to industry, and industry goes, no, 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 no. This social science stuff, we want you to focus on technical, and then when when the, when the, when your the students get out and they join industry, we'll teach them the soft skills. We'll teach them the social science, okay? Well, industry never delivered on that promise. But what happened was is that the Grinter got the Grinter report got approved. They integrated that stuff into the report and a, and a number of other things, which I go into more detail in that video. But it changed the trajectory of engineering education. And in that moment, um, the, this hyper focus on like this unbalanced focus on engineering education got its, got its start. So everything that you're talking about, see, because engineers, you know, engineers being poor writers, poor communicators, you know, having, um, a lack of common sense, as you, as, you, as you put it, it's not their fault because they were never, that was never an emphasis in their, in their academic studies. And for engineering, academia is everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I think there should be more Randys, you know, because uh, you, to hear you speak, it's, it's very, in, you know, motivational, especially because I move in the world of engineering. And so it really touches me. I, I'm surrounded by these engineering types and uh, they're brilliant. They are. Many people I know are brilliant. And sometimes I get asked, you know, do you know someone for this job? And it's a great job. But it involves a lot of social engagement and customer facing, and I cannot recommend them because I know, you know, they are good behind the desk, but uh, that they lack that part. And how do you teach someone uh, on, unless you really take a closer look? And um, you have something on a on an article you wrote on LinkedIn or a blog you did, and uh, I loved it. It said. Uh, that the key would be to create a fully engaging culture where our team's member feel safe and secure, a foundational culture grounded in the values of collaboration, participation, impunity, and clear expectations, one that lays the groundwork for our team members to have a peace of mind, a culture that creates the possibility for craftsmanship to emerge, an immersive culture where our team members feel one with their practice, part of something bigger than themselves. I think that's beautiful. Really, it's something. Have you written a book yet? Because I think you're on the on the on the course. Um, I mean, actually, that is uh, at the top of my to do list is to write a book. Yeah, I think you should because I, uh, you know, doing the research and speaking with you, I think you definitely have that charisma to inspire. You know, those engineers to look out of the box and to realize that they're potential is limitless once they uh, embrace those soft skills, as you call them. Yeah. And when we put together the Engineering Leadership Institute, I mean, we built a, um, a an online curriculum 
for uh, to teach soft skills to engineers leveraging technology in a lot of different ways. And uh, it was interesting because all the market research we did, everybody's like, well, let me just ask you this. Is there a conspicuous lack of soft skills in the engineers you work with? In, in, in my... Yeah, for in, you. I'm asking you. Is there a conspicuous lack of soft skills in the engineers you work with? Yes. Yes. Like, you ask anybody, right? And so we've, we figured, and I think to a certain extent, um, two things. I think we're ahead of the curve. I don't think we did a very, a, a very good job of putting the curriculum together. Um, where my plan is is to redo it in a much different way, a much funner and charismatic way, so to speak. Um, the preliminary title for my book is what I call is The Mastery of Expertise. I like it. You know, my husband, who is an electronics engineer, is in a rare category, and I know a few of these too. He's also a musician. I've had two people. I interview my, my husband and I interview Ignacio Angulo also in the early part of uh, my episodes, probably episode 15 or so. And they're both amazing engineers. They have amazing soft skills because I think they have that sensitive part and that connection with music. And there's a whole side to them just because they have developed that part of the, I don't know, qualities or brain or, but uh, and they're yeah, very similar. Like- it's like left brain, right brain, whatever. I, you know, I never could keep track. Um, but yeah, no, exactly. It's like definitely. How long have you been married? Uh, we've been married almost twelve years. Right. Together, yeah, my, fourteen. That that's that's fantastic. Congratulations. Yes, and if you heard when whenever you there's somewhere buried in any podcast we we met on Match.com. I always say that because every time I feel. What's that now? We met online on Match.com. Okay. So I always say it because I know there are people out there dating, you know, and now we're approaching Valentine's Day. And so I'll do, I'll do an episode on, on that. But dating is hard these days. So every time I can plug it in, it, anybody listening out there, it's like sometimes it does work. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I mean, so you were leveraging technology, right? Absolutely. In a time right. where really no one was, so everybody was very afraid of it. Sure, there were risks. There are risks right now, but you could also find someone at a bar and have the same risk. You know, the fact that you don't do it doesn't mean that you're not going to meet someone that's not the best person. Common sense is a soft skill, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So, Randy, if we move from from engineering um, in, in my list, so I feel that physical aspect of, of of yourself, like the skiing and the scuba diving, is is big part of how you stay joyful. Have there been moments uh, where you fell down, like maybe when you got laid off? I've been through that experience. It, it's not a, a nice one. Even if you want to leave the company, it's still there's something through the experience that it's a little tough. A time where you've been down and then you realize that there's something you did or that, that pulled you back up and say, okay, I'm going to get back on my feet. Yeah. Um, I lost my, my younger brother, um, 30, 30 years ago. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Wow. Yeah. And, um, my younger brother and I had, um, he was seven years younger than me. He was, uh, six, eight. 240. Um, he was, um, he had a, had gotten a basket, a full ride basketball scholarship to Stanford university. 
um, which didn't work out. Um, and, and it's interesting too, cause my, just as a side note, my, my, my oldest daughter, who's 26 now, she got a full ride scholarship in synchronized swimming, which is absolutely unheard of. Wow. And she went through it for a year and, um, that didn't work. Um, because just, I'll just, the way I'll put it is, is that division one sports, um, when kids go to division one sports, that the school owns them. Oh, wow. I mean, it is, it is watching my brother, my younger brother go through it. My daughter go through it. It is one of the most unhealthy things I've ever seen. But anyway, uh, but where, where I'm going with this is that at the time, um, when he was, you know, from when he was, uh, in his early twenties, he, he got killed when he was 24 and I was third and I was 31. We had some differences, but then we came back together and we had about three years where we were, we had transcended brotherhood. We had just, uh, if feel free to share, you know, we can edit, feel free to share what you want to share. We're opening a door here. No, I appreciate it. Um, and we had gone to a place of beyond brotherhood, beyond friendship. And, um, I was teaching skiing at the time and he was so coachable and so powerful, such a physical specimen that, you know, we'd go skiing together and his skiing would improve 300% during the day. Just, that was all part of that bond. And then, then he got, um, he was actually riding my motorcycle and he got, and he, and he got killed in a tragic accident that, and, um, what happened was, is that in that moment, and I actually found him in the wreckage. Oh my um, God. And, um, what happened with me was, is that everything went black and white. I stopped seeing colors. I remember that so distinctly. And then it, it was so tragic and it traumatized everybody in the family. I was like, I had gotten a point. Everybody kind of came to me and said, I'm out. My mom and my dad, I'm out. You got to handle this. And I had, and so I got put into this role of taking care of everything, everybody, everything that lasted for about a month. And then when that was done, when I was done with all that busyness, right, that's a whole nother part of our culture right now, this whole busyness thing and all the anxiety and angst that goes along with it. When that busyness was done, I crashed. Yeah. And I mean, you had all the right, I mean, to, to go through all that, carrying the weight. That's a lot. I, I didn't have any choice. Yeah. You know, my, my, it was like my emotions could wait, right? There were more important things to do. Like, answering all the, all the cards and managing all the flowers that got sent to my parents' house and, you know, arranging the funeral and, and, and dealing with everybody who, uh, was just over. It was, I, I suppose that looking back on it, it, I could say it was overwhelming, but I didn't have any choice. Yeah. I could not be overwhelmed. I, so anyway, um, when that stopped, I spiraled into, um, grief and loss and depression. Um, my finances went south. I was abusing substances and alcohol and I was faced with, I was, I I was standing at the precipice and the precipice was, 
I had a choice and that was either to recover or to, um, find a way to recover or just spiral out into either institutionalization, incarceration or, or death. Right. Wow. Yeah. That's what I, I think that's what people describe as rock bottom when you, you, you really were there. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, fortunately at the time I was able to find, I found a grief counselor that really helped me through it and, and got me through it. And, um, and so I have a feeling that you and I are going to be talking more. So yes, absolutely. Yeah. You, I think you, you, you have like, I always say there's some guests that I already say you have another episode whenever you want and we choose another subject or something specific. But, uh, I love the fact that you're being very honest and candid, and I know this story um, is hard to tell. For, it would be for anybody, but I'm sure you're touching someone out there that's going through massive depression right now and, and cannot imagine how to come back because without those five minutes where you share that very personal experience and tragic I couldn't tell. You sound like such an upbeat guy. Uh, I've read what you write. I mean, I cannot see trace of that traumatic experience and that's very admirable because there's people that let those experiences define them and uh, I don't feel that with you I think that you definitely um, want to to live a joyful life fulfill life and help others well thank you I appreciate that and so let me share what I the big lesson that I learned in all that and what I learned was is that the way I learned it was is that there's three steps to to recovery from grief. And, um, the first two don't ever come in order, but they, they're always the first two. And that is, is, um, sorrow and anger and all the other stuff that's associated with those two. Right. But the third one, which always comes last is forgiveness and for forgiveness. And it's the, and the very first step in that forgiveness is the forgiveness of self. Because my brother was dead. The issues that I was dealing with were my issues around him. And I see people in life, one of the most tragic things that, that I, that in the experience of that was my brother had a girlfriend and they were, they just, they loved you. Anybody looking from the outside in could tell that they just loved each other to death, but they couldn't get each their own stuff out of their way to be together and and i i think that's a certain that's maturity i think i don't i don't really think men even start getting close to mature until they're in their 30s really i think women get mature earlier but um anyway and she was so the the tragedy there was is that she had issues to resolve with him that she desperately wanted to resolve with him which was taken away forever. Yeah. Yeah. That's a hard one. Right. So anybody listening to this podcast and you can put all of this in your, in there, in your podcast, because I think people need to hear this. And I tell people this, it's like, you gotta, you gotta put, lay down your armor and get clear with anybody in your life that you have issues with. Forgive yourself, forgive them because you never know when that person is going to be taking, taken away from you. Yeah, it's a very powerful, very powerful advice. I mean, I, 
I've shared in a different episode, it's never like losing a sibling. I cannot imagine. But I did lose one of my best, best, best friends uh, at 17. And she was killed in a car accident. And at 17, you don't even think of death. You don't even think that can happen to you. You don't, I mean, that was not in our vocabulary. We felt, you feel invincible, you know? And so in very difficult, different circumstances, um, I saw very early that, you know, you exactly that you cannot hold grudges. And, you know, in every family there's grudges and I'm the one always prompting people I know or my mom or any, like, okay, you have to make peace with this. You don't want to, because then you see when someone gets sick and they're about to die, then everybody runs to their bedside. I'm like, why you run now? When you had all the time to do it, just so that before the person leaves, they live in peace. I mean, it's very strange how the how we work as human beings. Yeah, it's it's right, and I and I tell my friend everybody, my goal in life is to move through life um, clear with everybody I interact with. Okay, my my goal in life is to. When I interact with people, I don't care who it is, I don't care what's going on, that when when I when we walk away from each other, they feel better. And it sounds simple, but it is the hardest thing I have ever taken on. Yeah. No, I can, I can see it and any even if you have shared with us a very very uh, sad story, one that touches you obviously very deeply. I think we all, at least me, I'm definitely feeling better to have met you. And oh, well, thank I, you. <laughs> I definitely uh, want to have you over again. And I, I know we're getting to where the part where unfortunately our time is running up. But I started saying that what you had said about if you stay in the basics, you don't have to go back to it. I want to give you a chance to maybe close our episode today by just sharing your thoughts about that and what you wrote. I think that. There's lots of programs out there, um, guidelines for living life. Okay, probably one of the best ones, best known ones, is a twelve-step program that lays out basic rules for living. And as an engineer, I know that I want to make things complicated. I want to take simple concepts and make them complicated. And but I find that if I stick to the basics of like, I think, you know, Abraham Lincoln said something like, eat good food, get regular exercise, you know, pay attention to your spirituality and you'll live a good life. I mean, something like that simple, right? Absolutely. It's fun. So <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. So, so just when I, when it comes, if I stick to the basics which is a challenge for me, and I would assert that that's a challenge for engineers too. But find the find the aspects of your life that bring you value. Figure out what the basics are, and um, and try to stick to them. Wow, Randy, yes, that's that's really inspiring. You know, I I already named your episode even before we had the conversation. I named it "Sticking to the Basics." Um, and so you just reaffirm, um, something that, that really touched me because when I created the name for this podcast is, you know, back to basics, going back to basics, it's, uh, that concept 
of okay, don't go back, just stick to the to it on the first place. And it's a great call to action for all of us, including myself, is when you feel you're doing something that's taking you away from that, from what you know it is, you know, your basics and your guidelines, you, you know it's time to to go to return. And and if you don't f- go too far away, then you know the the drive is short, uh, so to speak. Yeah, and 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 the other thing is too is that if you can find really close friends, advisors, mentors in in your life uh, that w- that have the permission to say, "Hey, man, you, I think you got to get back to basics on this one." That's super valuable too. Thank you so much, Randy. Thank you for you know your candid conversation. It's really been inspiring. You also, I love the fact that you share at 51, you also changed the trajectory of your life. So for anybody out there thinking it's too late or I'm midway in my life, it's never too late. This is something I, I keep saying on every episode because it's something that we try to convince ourselves it's too late. Uh, it's never too late. And um, I thank you. Thank you so much also for the good work you do with the younger generations and 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 bringing up this new generation of engineers. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on today, Leticia. It's, uh, I've enjoyed it very much. Thank you, Randy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And until the next time. Mm-hmm.